just two local guys with so much to say. So listen to the real estate brothers today. All right, we are live. This is the fifty-second uh, episode of the monthly market update, where Dean and I go over some real estate statistics in Hawaii, and we're also be covering some things that are happening nationally in the news. Dean, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, see if you can move the slides on your own? Yeah, yeah. I believe you gave me control. Yep. My name is Dean Ueda. I'm a, a former CPA, now a real estate uh, professional over in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. You can reach me. My website is realestateofhawaii.com. That's probably the easiest way to reach out to me. I also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash realestateofhawaii, where I post about five minutes nuggets every week of value add. can range anything from buying, selling a home to even just the home maintenance or even things that I think are interesting that helps me as, as an individual, as a person, family, whatever. So I always like to have fun things being that we drive the channel, we can put whatever we want. So that's always great fun. But as we like to start off, I start off the first half and we talk about the Hawaii real estate news. Jumping into, we're starting at the beginning of June and summer is here. My children are on summer break. Last week was the last week of school for them. And this week is break. Next week, they are starting summer school. We're having a lot of fun. You can see today we did a, a diamond head hike. I don't know, Lane, is the last time you did that one, but it's great for Kama'aina because it's actually free. Parking is free and access to the hike is free. For the tourists, it, it actually costs quite a pretty penny just to do the hike. I don't know if you, when the last time you did it, Lane, but they actually have a few improvements in terms of they upgraded some of the what the side trail. Instead of going up the hundred stairs, you can go up a side trail to get to the top. That's helpful. And in the meantime, I also we played tourist. We at a restaurant, a local Japanese restaurant called Sakia's. Lane, have you eaten there recently? No, I don't get out very often. I do <laughs> order a lot of pre-made meals. It's delivery, but no restaurants. It's an old local Japanese restaurant. I haven't eaten there in 20 years. So I went back and right here's a picture of the traditional Japanese breakfast that my other half got. And then tomorrow, I'm going to go check out Sweetland Farm over in Wailua. We're going to go check out the goat farm out there. Again, us playing tourists, I think you can feed the baby goats. I don't know if you can milk them and, and try some goat milk. I've anyway. been there. Yeah. You can actually buy the goats. So tell, okay. Ask them how much it costs. Okay. I don't think my association here would allow goats, but um, I can check. Summer, the start of summer, start of season, a lot of times that's when the real estate sales tend to go up in a typical year. So jumping into that, we want to get into real estate prices, the median home prices for the month of May. Again, uh, Honolulu Realtors statistics won't come out till the sixth day of the following month. As you can see here, we have single family median single price at uh, $1,155,000. That's about 19% jump from the same time last year. It's kind of close to record breaking. We'll see what the official number is on the sixth. But it's same story, different month from the standpoint of we're still at these record highs. Uh, for condo townhouses, we have 515000 and that's a 
13% increase from the same time last year. Again, these prices are bordering around the all-time highs. And so we'll see if they um, break anything. But this long-term trend, as you can see, same story. We haven't seen much change in that. And why is that? A lot of it's because of our supply, right? So supply and demand. On the supply side, we still have 1.3 months of inventory for single-family homes and one6 months of inventory for condo and townhouses. Have you seen any interest rates have been going up? Have you seen an affordability of people has been going down uh, or what they can afford? Have you seen any properties drop contract because the, the borrower? Yeah, so or... I have had calls, not for my transaction, but we've gotten calls where we put in offers and, and my buyers didn't win. And one of the scenarios was they called and they said, oh, are you guys still interested in the house? because the first position backed out. And then so when we asked, why did they back out? Well, in one scenario, the situation was exactly that interest rates. Another situation, similar call, the first position backed out. They, their buyer backed out because, and this is maybe a month or two ago, but it was because they were getting nervous with the international affairs with you know the Ukraine and that. So I thought that was really interesting for that scenario. We are seeing price decreases from the standpoint of the listings. And also a lot of times, a year, two years ago, we're getting, especially on the single family side, we're getting a lot of 20, 30, even here stories about like 50 offers on a single home. Now I think we're seeing more like three to five. And again, it depends on the situation. It depends on the location, depends on the, the type of property. But I think the interest rate rising has caused a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a correction, but just maybe like a stir up because... Like someone that was looking for that million dollar house and are tapping in and leveraging out, maxing out what they can buy at a million. In, the interest rates creep up 50 bips and now you're, you're, now you're only like 975, 950 is your buying power. And so now you're looking at a different type of inventory or price point. So now it's changing your search a little bit. So I think that caused a little bit of adjustment for the buyer side on the, the demand side. But I'll show you another slide. For the month of May, it stabilized. It, it was creeping up and not creeping. It, it jumped up a whole bunch. But for the month of May, for the most part, it was pretty stable in terms of interest rates. So yeah, to your question, we did see some, I don't know if you want to call it a hiccup or whatnot, but on the buyer side, we were seeing some of that. But then again, days on market, we haven't seen much change. Single family and condos, 11 days on market is the median for both. Yeah, And it's, that's actually a Jump up of 10% for single family and condos is down 15%. But days on market is an indicator that's going to definitely lag all this type of stuff we're yeah. talking about a bit. Yeah, that's true. And as you can see here, though, this is really same story for a while now. Yeah. And then this is the slide I wanted to talk. We were mentioning is, I think it was as of yesterday, 5.47 was a 30 year fixed rate. But if you can see here for that, for most of me, it, it hasn't done much compared to the last three months prior. So yeah, Lane, I don't know if you're getting these questions, but I seem to be getting them a lot of time now from my buyers, sellers, friends, family, tennis parents, who, whomever. Uh, I was like, how's, how's the market? Are we facing a correction? I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, but I know that a lot of pundits are actually trying to address that question in terms of then where is there a safe haven to put our investments, alternative investments or whatever you want to. And the slide coincidentally lane, like your questions listing, we are seeing some uh, price corrections. And again, 
to your questioning and interest rates causing the correction. I think we talked about it where for the May month of May for the most part is pretty stable. A lot of another trend that we're seeing too is I think on Oahu, the good thing is that we still have a lot of owner occupants that are trying to buy. And that helps a lot because when the interest rates go up and prices are going up, you know, you're for the investors, then what happens is cap rates are getting squeezed, right? Unless the your interest unless your rent rates are going up proportionately, then you're gonna have that cap rate squeeze on the investment side. And I'm sorry, the cap rates can squeeze, but the, if the interest rates go up, then now your margins are getting squeezed is what I meant to say. Yeah. So if we have a lot of owner occupants, there won't, they won't be, they will be affected, but maybe not to the extent that a potential investor maybe who has to use leverage. So we are seeing more cash offers winning or a lot of large down payments and a lot of owner occupants. Yeah. And as I mentioned, instead of seeing 20 to 30 offers, we're seeing a little bit less, but um, hopefully multiple offer situations. That's, and again, that's an anecdotal from my standpoint, talking to with my current experience, as well as talking to other agents in the industry. Trying to have your anecdotes. That, yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the economists that I like to talk to is um, Paul Brubaker and we're supposed to have him um, in July for on the Honolulu Board of Realtors for the Leeward Regional Group that I sit, I volunteer for. So hopefully we'll I'll get some of the information and share. And I, I love talking, hearing from Paul. He's on the mainland right now. In 2015, I had 11 turnkey rentals and realized that there's nothing passive about direct ownership in rental properties. This coming from an accredited investor perspective. Our group these days are mostly accredited investors, strictly looking for syndication deals for a purely passive investment strategy. One part of my portfolio is the American Home Owner Preservation, or what folks in Nikui call AHP. George Newberry, once apartment investor and mentor to myself, is now sponsoring podcasts for the fourth year in a row. His private note fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts out the middlemen, and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while cashing your distribution check on a monthly basis. Find something else better out there? Just let me know. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahptitle.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash AHP. And don't forget to join our private investor club to get more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. As always, we like to talk about the scam of the month. And so this month, I guess researchers at Fortinet found a sophisticated phishing email sent to a Hungarian diplomat, right? So in the email, cyber criminals disguised themselves by using the first and last name of an employee at the diplomat's IT department. So in this case, the diplomat knew it sounded suspicious, so he reached out to the employee to see if it was legit or not, which is what you should do. But this is an example of what's called spear phishing, what they're doing now. So spear phishing is when you target a single person or department that has information that the cyber criminals are looking for. Yeah? And in these attacks, the, the cyber criminals do research on that person or department to figure out who do they communicate through frequently. And then they send a message to that person and trying to pre- pretending to be that person and uh, trying to get more information. As always, it's not like a broken rep- record. Don't open attachments or click on links in emails that 
you're not expecting, check the email headers to see um, if you recognize the sender or the other recipients. And uh, reach out to the person who allegedly sent the mail by phone or in person just to ensure that that's a legitimate email. So that's the scam of the month, spear phishing. Instead of throwing everything to the wall and see what sticks now, they're targeting something specific, doing a little bit more due diligence and trying to get some hits that way. Instead of you're trolling with a lure versus bring, bring the big net. So I wanted to end my portion of today talking about uh, safety and security. So one thing I want to talk about is home safety and smoke detectors. So did you know that your chance of dying in a home, home fire is cut by 55% if your home contains smoke alarms. And uh, average smoke alarms last for 10 years. And usually they put the date on the smoke alarms either on the top, so you have to take it down or on the sides. Also, it's a good idea to replace your batteries twice a year. Maybe one recommendation was doing it during daylight savings and daylight standard times when they switch. Twice a year sounds kind of often, but Lane, I don't know about you, but it's funny because you know with these Zoom calls, I've had Zoom calls with clients, friends, family, but I think two or three times I've been on the call and I've actually heard the smoke alarm in the background beeping. I don't know. I forget. I think it was a vendor and I was, I didn't want to mention anything, but hopefully they're watching this podcast and, and they'll see and change their battery. But it was funny because like it was like two time, two weeks in a row. And I, I heard that same as now that I think about it, I, I should bring it up to them because maybe they can't hear it. Yeah? Well, I don't know. When I was in college, that thing would be going off all the time. Nobody would do anything about it. <laughs> but I don't know. Does it, I couldn't even focus. It was, it was hard because I was like, does he hear it? But anyway, so some maintenance tips. If there is dust, the compressed air cans that we use for our keyboards, that's always a good thing to use to um, blow off the dust. If there's grime buildup, use a microfiber cloth to clean it up. And the main thing is don't ignore the chirp because to me, that 55% number is a very alarm, alarming, get it? Alarming uh, statistic that uh, we should pay attention to. I also wanted to talk about home security. And these days with technology, home security is getting so much cheaper. So some statistics again for you guys is 2.5 million burglaries in the U.S. in 2021. 17% of U.S. homes have security systems. And if you're not that 70%, you're three times more likely of being robbed. Another thing is, it said 34% of burglars enter through the front door. Point being is that's a good place to put an alarm. And one of the cheapest alarms that I found was your Alexa. I don't know. I have an Alexa Echo. And I actually have three or four of them. But if you are to get the Alexa Guard app, and when before you leave, you say, Alexa, I'm leaving. Wait, mine is turning on. What happens is it will become like a, like a parrot. So if it hears, it, it's, it'll actively be listening things for things. So if it hears a lar- loud noise or alarm go off, it will take a... Re- a 10 second record of it and then it'll send it to your phone i believe is how that alexa guard app works shoot the the echo dot is like 20 bucks i think so talk about a really cheap alarm system and again this is not to replace a legitimate system point being is you can find really cheap alternatives out there if, if you want to and another thing is that a majority of intruders say that they would leave immediately if they hear a security alarm go off. Yeah. I don't know about you, Lane. I've visited a lot of homes, either listings or even friends that have that ring alarm and door. And uh, CNN has said that's the best security system for 2021. And it's neat because the ring with the ring alarm 
besides the camera, it also has audio, yeah. So you can hear from your phone and you can hear what, what's being said outside or even in the house. So I think something not to ignore, especially with technology showing being so reasonably priced nowadays. Yeah, if you, if you want to go cheaper mode, it's free. Just buy the equipment. But I think it's like 100 bucks to get it up with the, the, the network. Yeah, so why not, man? But just to in, end with a quick fun quote from Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor. Before you invest, you must ensure that you have realistically assessed your probability of being right and how you will react to the consequences of being wrong. So I like that quote, especially now as I'm looking for places to invest in. I like that quote. But anyway, something to think about. All right. People haven't checked out my podcast, you can go to simplepassivecashflow.com. Check it out there. We also put all these podcasts that Dean and I do. I think it's under Brada's Real Estate Hawaii is, I think, how you find it. But people have been listening to it, Dean. They may I not have... like our YouTube version, but they like the audio version, unless it's you. This, but I'm gonna be going through some headlines here. If you guys want to check out my book, The Journey to Simple Passive Cash Flow, check it out on Amazon. But first thing first, I put this in here to you know tick Dean off. So Boeing's moving their headquarters from Chicago to Arlington, Virginia. So what is this like fiftieth reason to not invest in Chicago, Illinois? I sold Chicago, Lee. I sold. You can't rag me anymore. It's okay. Okay, <laughs> we will stop. We'll stop. Turn off that Google alert for Chicago sucks uh, articles. John Burns Consulting says to be on the lookout for more build-to-rent projects. Prepare for higher density zoning. I don't know if this is happening in Hawaii, where they're allowing higher build in certain areas i know that it's big on like california they just allow that but with the affordability issues that's really the only way you can release some of that pressure is allow more dense building in places that were once single family only places well, the biggest news unrelated is how they're changing the short-term rental laws oh what is what's going on with that it's now is it 90 90 days is it so what it, it, what was it prior it was to? A, a month oh so it's gotten even worse then it's gotten worse and then you have to do anything less than that you're paying the transient accommodation tax which is crazy right so, yeah haha airbnb vrbo you had your chance but then now it's it's worse yeah worse and it than... wasn't them though it wasn't them it's i think it was the government trying to protect the hotel industry is what the vibe i kind of yeah. got not only here in hawaii but like a lot of other places across even the mainland like in all like the tourist sensitive areas like you don't see any airbnbs in a lot of these places because or- not really allowed and then now like for airbnb you got to actually pay the same taxes and fees that the hotels have to. So it's all the costs get passed on to the consumer. So it's not really too much of a price difference. It's interesting because I think, again, I think he was talking to hearing the economist and he's saying, when you look at the amount of short-term rentals that were constructed in the last 40 years, and it really hasn't gone up that much. And so I think that the point to that was like having these Airbnbs in fact, I think, Lane, you posted something about that too, about an article saying these Airbnbs don't actually hinder or hurt the hotel industry in, in many cases as uh, some people perceive. But I don't know, I guess we're going off on tangent here. Yeah, um, yeah, it goes after the a different type of travel seeker. Yeah, exactly. And then again, there's a lot of other things like there's political things involved in this whole 
think it's yeah. Bill 41. And what, what I do see too is like from the investor side, a lot of unsophisticated mom investors are starting to get into short term rentals because you can't make long term rentals. And that shows how you and I are getting old, like short term, <laughs> long, long term rentals don't cash anymore. At one time they did, but not now. So these guys, they have to do short term rentals to get any ounce of cash flow. And it's, hey, dude, if there's a pandemic, you're screwed. That's why we did long-term rentals back in the day, because right. you always need that type of stuff where short-term so, is discretionary. You know, interesting thing, too, we talk about that as having a, as actually a possible. I know there's a few people who are actually renting out single-family homes on the outskirts of Waikiki, like the Kamaki area units, and they would be due like 30 days. And I think some of it was because of COVID where people could work remotely. So they would move to Hawaii for a month, work remotely for a month in, in a nice house close to Waikiki or the beach. And and they would be totally willing to pay some crazy four, five, 10 grand a month, just for a month to stay in, in, in this. Back then it was not considered short term, but owners were, were able to, to get some pretty good ROE at short term until this bill past because now when you're at 90 that kind of really changes things up yeah but what weren't people they just put it up on the websites for 90 days whatever but then when the people get there they're like nah 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 you can just move out whenever you want and then that's what's happened that's the the workaround yeah but i think bill 41 but i think it's bill 41 has is trying to clog up those loopholes yeah but then again is is anybody even going to enforce this thing now we're not condoning anybody doing illegal activity on this podcast youtube video but i think that's always it's always like an empty enforcement right yeah supposedly like these even the rules that passed enforced a year and two years ago i think what apparently the the short-term laws were exist in existence for 20 years it's just that nobody was enforcing them so when they brought these laws back or they're now letting the public be the enforcer was the theory behind it and i and the other thing is like not allowing Airbnb and VRBO to do it unless they have the proper permits. That was the biggest thing, I think, too. Yeah. I know this is an opinion show, but I'm not a big fan of Airbnb VRBOs in Hawaii. I think you get a lot of out-of-state owners just buying properties, pumping prices up. And then short-term rental landlords are pretty unsophisticated. It's a shit show, basically. Um, your neighbors get all pissed off and people coming in. It's just, I don't see that good for the community. So maybe I'm just getting old. No, you know, yeah, that's true. And then you have, but then you also have these situations that, you know, that I think on the North Shore, when you had the big surf events and the big tournaments that allowing the surfers and the participants to be out there for that short term was a, one as a benefit to the community and to the, the surfing community. That might be like a one-off, but I've heard, always you hear arguments of, of these uh, situations where, you know, could be an exception or, or how it's hurting these new laws are hurting this certain niche or, or subgroup. So that that's the challenge, right? Is somebody's gonna get hurt with these big overarching yeah, groups. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't do that type of stuff. But what your but with your wallet and your investment dollars, what you decide. Unless you want to buy a beach house JV and a short term rental, you know? Not, that, not something you're looking into. That's an option. That, yeah. Then, so the only way it can make it work is you run it like truly like a co-op because you can't lease this thing out to just random people. You, you're not going to, the laws are just so difficult if you really want to run it legally, which ideally you want to run a legitimate business and not go around. But the only way to make it work is get 10, 20, 30 guys together and then 
have your little calendar and rent it out to those people's friends and family. But then it's like, what a pain in the ass is what I think. Like, maybe if it was like five families, even then it's hard. It's like a cross between a hui and a timeshare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like an HOA. That's a nightmare. That's the interesting thing too, is the potential appreciation of that play, right? To your point, I think you're just parking that money there. Money that you're not going to need for the next... I don't know how, how long, and it's just, it's it, it's better than a timeshare from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah. If that's the case, just do a good old-fashioned lease option with people. Have the option, buy the option to buy the price set today, and then get all the upside, and that's a pain in the butt type of activity too, but it's, I don't know. I think that's the name of times. Like, you just have so much yeah. international money here, and it's low yeah. caps. This is not a cash flow place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the challenge. To your point, though, like if there's pe- there the investors out there who aren't necessarily looking for the cash flow and they're they want to park their 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 equity and just not lose the principal. So where's the safest place they can park one five million dollars and just leave it there? Yeah. But then California they, and New York best yeah, places. Yeah. But then the international guys, they have they have it's a pain in the ass because then you have the tax laws are Harpta and Fripta where they uh, withhold all of this uh, money until you file your tax returns. So that's a pain. Not too bad because once you file your tax return, you'll get what you deserve back. But then smart. I don't care. You're talking like hundred million, billion dollar families, the people that's who true. are buying these little right. five, ten million dollar houses here yeah. in Hawaii. They don't care about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, because one of the my clients is looking into um you talked about Nauru Tower. So my one of my clients is he said, Oh, you drive by White Nauru Tower at night and you look up and you hey, maybe you can talk, count about twenty lights on in the whole building. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone's still stuck in Japan, that's why. <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's good to be in those kind of places. Yeah. If you can buy in. It's like a ghost town because it's that's how like Vancouver BC is. A lot of those nice luxury condos are just uninhabited. Kind of is nice. it Japanese or Chinese? I, I heard I, Chinese, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Sort of interesting. Anyway, digress. <laughs> digress. So back on track here. Yeah, affordability is just getting more and more difficult. I think we talk about this all the time. The get rich the rich get richer and the middle class become the lower middle class and have trouble, more and more troubles affording stuff. So that's kind of what Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, these pseudo-government agencies are out there to lend this government money out. So they're saying that they're predicting less volumes to go out next year as comparison to this year. And I think just like the home prices, right? 2021 was just a phenomenal year, partly because of pent-up demand too. But I think that what I tell people a lot is it's not like this stuff is slowing down or going backward. Well, it's slowing down, but it's not going backwards. Yep. And I think that's what like a lot of these media sources always try to highlight. Like such as this one, right? They say Fannie Mae cuts origination projection and forecast recession in 2023. Oh my God. Like how many times do I hear that? I'm sure you hear this all the time. Like, Dean, I'm, I'm worried about the recession that's coming soon next year or maybe the year after. No. I don't know. Then I asked, well, have you done anything, dude? You've done, have you even bought anything yet? So you got to get started sometime. I've been fearing a recession for the last 14 years. If you would have acted on that, you would have left out on the biggest 14-year boom cycle ever. Maybe was that five years ago? The, the, it, it's time because when you look at the technical analysis and, and the timing of that the, the bull markets don't last this long. So yeah, I think a lot shouldn't. of people waited on the sidelines for this whole time. It shouldn't, but we're not in a regular economy in a year. The United States just prints money like nothing. 
and yeah. it can keep going on just forever as long as you control the monetary policy. So that's yeah. the other theory. So this thing can go for another five, 10 years. Right. To your point, and as soon as they are able to get a hold of the inflation, then yeah, like you said, it, it, they can go either way, but they do need the dry powder, right? And they have a lot of it now and pushing interest rates up. I think that's a good. Yeah. So we'll see what this tightening does because now once you start reducing the, the cash out there, it's, it's going to be interesting. But they, they're having, they're building up the dry powder if something happens, right? Yeah. Exactly. Fannie Mae is projecting that next year that they're going to lend out approximately 2022. They did three trillion, and they're going to 2.8 trillion is their new projection. 2023 forecast was 2.7. Now they're looking at 2.4. It's, it's still a very small, slight decline is what they're projecting. It, it's obviously a lot less than what what got dealt out in 2021. 4.5 trillion dollars of debt. But 2.8 comparison to 4.5, that's still nothing to laugh about growth. But for the average consumer, it does make a lot of sense why things are slowing down because they're like, oh, if I can lock in at a, why would I want to lock in at a rate of 5% when I had a 3% available to me last year? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on and when is it going to (laughs) stop? Yeah. Multifamily net operating income increasing this is net operating and basically is with all the stuff we're saying is how much money you made at the end of the month not including your debt service of course but yeah, net it's operating yeah, it's like you're a beta in a business how much yeah. money you're making so it's it's been going up probably because rents have been skyrocketing too even faster oh the e5 thing is back so the eb5 is the immigrant investor program where immig- foreign people who are super loaded could just buy their way into america citizenship mm. which i don't know that's quite controversial some people like it but i'm sure hawaii is going to be it's a gateway city so did the previous administration get rid of that is that yeah it's been gone for a while like maybe a year a few years but it just they just turned it back on blackstone the, the professional investors out there they're picking up Persia Hospitality Trust. Here's a, a graph of migration hotspots in Sun Belt states. Now, the best four are Phoenix, Arizona, Miami, Florida, Tampa, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia. And Hawaii is on here, but it's not on a good part of the graph that you want to be on. It is, how should we explain this one, Dean? It is yeah. below the line, which I know is not good. It has relatively positive net flow of user migration that's not what you want per se but it is well below the line of consumer price index or yeah percentage annual change surprised they actually thought of us this time and put us on their graph that's interesting renewal rate rates are going up than normal so more and more people are renewing probably because here's just my speculation just guessing this isn't rocket science, so I'm probably right. The people who normally would opt out of these leases will probably be buying a house to live in. Now they can no more can afford. <laughs> so they just re-opt. That's my theory here. I don't know. My, uh, more people yeah. are renting these days than than past. Um, I think my I, I don't self-manage my properties. And typically, I let my property managers handle it. For some reason, I, I have one small unit in las vegas and they, they tend to ping me every time it's time for renewal so a few weeks ago they said oh we can jack up rents about 150 
dollars, which is about a 16% increase. And I was like, okay, if that's what the market is telling, then let's do it. So, so they put in the, I, I have yet to hear if, if the tenant extended for another year or not, but yeah, 16% increase was made me pretty happy to hear. Yeah. I mean, like places like Phoenix, it's 20 something percent oh. over the last couple of years. And that's, I think that's one bookend. That's a high, I think Hawaii. Yeah. I think 15% is pretty fair. Yeah. And that's on the low side. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. They just they just run the comps and they say, here, Dean, this is, and they offer the amount. So they said 150. I think it was below, I think it was a range of 150 to 300. And so they went on the low side of that. I think my tenant's been there for three years already too. So yeah. I'm not trying for, to be know, a for, mean landlord. But for tenants, it can be tough though, because a lot of them aren't really sophisticated and they can maybe take that stuff personally, I'm guessing. Yeah. But again, we haven't raised it in a while. So I think this is just catching us up. And initially, I was thinking of, of selling that property too. So if, if they were to move, that's fine. I think it's good to just like always be increasing the rents like slightly so you don't, you take the emotion out of it so they don't think you're yeah. sure. But hey, the inflation went up 3% last year. Now it's 8%. You just cite something else. It's not my fault, man. It's inflation. Yeah, yeah. You to your point, you, you need to take emotion out of it because I hear so many stories or even like clients that I, I get and say, oh, can you sell our property? We have a renter that's been in there for 30 years and yeah, they really, they've been taking advantage of us and or they inherited the property from their someone and the other ancestor or the parent was just letting, giving the tenant a really good deal and for 30 years. And not only does it add to losing out for the family, but then even just the overall maintenance of the property gets, gets bad, right? Because if you were renting out to a, someone at an arm's length transaction, then hopefully you would be having a tenant that would be paying the proper amount and maintaining it properly too. I've had a few, quite a few situations where bad, yeah, where they weren't maintaining the property and having to go through a challenging situation to one, get them out. And then two, now we've got to get the property ready to, to sell. And yeah. So I say, man. If your net worth is over a million dollars, you don't want any dirty properties. Yeah, so it's true. Can you tell me yeah. any good reason why debt in your own name, all this legal liability and feeling bad about bumping people's rent by 2%. And then you being the bad guy, right? After that. Yeah. You're always a bad guy. You're always yeah. just a rich landlord. Money hungry. Yeah. 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 Anyway, moving on. It seems rent growth has decoupled from apartment demand. So let me try and explain what's going on here. So yeah, I was curious with them. The size of the labor national. So the, normally they're saying the labor force petition goes hand in hand with, or the unemployment goes hand in hand with rents going up and down. The unemployment rates for March and April represented the lowest value in the last two years and was a far cry from the 14.7 rate of April 2020, which is a good thing, right? Unemployment is super low right now. The size of the national labor force contract in April, this developed and was the reason fewer people were employed in April and March, even as the unemployment rate remained at 3.6%. So unemployment is low but i guess we're saying rent still went up and here also a graph with the ppi and the consumer price index but then again like that labor that unemployment rate that everybody watches is all bs anyway they always yeah. change that voluntary portion yeah it doesn't include the people who have, have given up 
yeah and haven't been in the system for because you haven't been looking for jobs and they're just yeah and i i never really understood the whole premise of like how do you get data for this thing do you call people and are like hi are you working right now would you like to take a survey yeah i'm unemployed i just got fired too i'd love to take a survey like i think yeah so that's why to your point is the only ones that are in the system either collecting unemployment or applying for it through the system like the ones that drop out and get kicked out or or stop requesting for it i think they are not included i believe i don't know i think i think you're right i just don't know who knows these numbers all cooked anyway to make people look good to tell the story (laughs) political It, it does but it does seem like the high end white collar type of professions, their their salaries are skyrocketing now. If you make two hundred grand a year now, it's not much. Yeah. Apparently. And it's great too because of the whole remote working thing. So you don't have to be in the Bay Area to make Bay Area uh, amounts. Yeah. Yeah. So you need a college education. That's yeah, another. You can get a scholarship for gaming. Or I mean you or you can just be a sales guy or like an operations person operations you know you know college degree that you just need to be a good cog score and not a dummy hard working yeah but i don't know investing in real estate is pretty simple and easy but here's that that other this is the graph of the the blue is the net absorb units so that's like the new stuff coming online as they're building more properties for people to live in and then the average effective rent rent changes is still going up Oh, wow. So that's a good thing for existing inventory owners. Is that, am I reading that properly? Yeah. So basically, it's there's not enough stuff coming online to satisfy yeah. the demand. Yeah. 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 There's kind of the build back better, which means we're getting to the kind of the end here. Um, uh, the last several slides here, uh, Arbor reports these different market dynamics causing more renters to consider delaying their home ownership due to rising costs of home ownership, tighter mortgage underwriting standards, shifting attitudes towards lifestyle renting are you working with first-time home buyers anymore are you guys doing any of those guys I, I am actually i do have some and the i had a few i had one that were looking for new construction so that was good news i got a couple of the, into some new construction on the west side as well as the reserve stuff in kakafu that we talked about too so that's exciting i think we talked about ulana before and that reserved housing in kakaku my understanding is after the big lottery they actually still have inventory for those, those units. So if I was going to do, that's what I should actually talk about in today, but one of my next YouTube videos, I was going to talk about the what's left or in terms of inventory in the reserved housing over in Kakaku, the Ulana at, at Ward Village. Have you heard of Park Lane too? I did not. I don't have any specifics on it, but. Okay. Re- report back next month. Okay. Park Lane too. Got it. To know. Is that the one we're going to do the cohort one? Yeah. Gotcha. And then, so finally ending here. So this is Joe Zindel. He's basically the chief in, investment officer behind Blackstone. So he's the guy who Blackstone put as their head guy in terms of investment. And, and some of his quotes here, yeah, he's saying right now it's quite unaffordable, almost as bad as in 2007. Yet he believes a crash is unlikely due to the major differences. First, most homeowners aren't using their homes like ATMs, like how they did back in 2007 that caused 2008 that caused so many people to go upside down the value of what money 
what they owed was greater than the value of their home. Today, people's homes have gone up maybe a quarter, maybe even more than that in the past several years. And they're not quite tapping that equity. I mean, smart investors are, they're getting that money out in HELOCs or refinancing and deploying and buying more assets that but hopefully that cash flow. That's what not, not what the average person is doing. Yeah. It says historically housing ends up being more highly correlated to labor markets than it is mortgage rates. He says, as long as the jobs markets remains relatively healthy, I think housing will as well, which we've talked about how we're in a healthy job market today. He said, you might see home prices generally flatten out. You may have pockets of weakness where the home prices in some regions might fall. But the idea of having a national and prolonged drop in housing as the economy eventually rolls over, I think is still a relatively low probability. So more importantly, these suckers at Blackstone are buying up pretty much anything they can find. So that's what I like. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of those economists, team, like because they don't have any money and they don't do anything with their little money. I want to follow what these pros do, as Joe Zindel guy does. Follow the smart money, right? Yeah, at least they put their money where the mouth is. I think you see the weatherman just predicting the weather and he doesn't go outside. All right, random question. Are you having challenging times in terms of fill- like financing deals or so like here's what's been happening i think a lot of the big interest rates are come up and then i think a lot of the big institutional players that move the markets just like in any other industry have put a pause and they're buying so it's created maybe a potentially a little bit of a good buying window a seller's market within a buyer's market or a buyer's market within the seller's market eventually those guys have to come back into the game because they have to deploy money like guys like blackstone they got to keep deploying cash they got to keep buying large apartments or whatever they're buying so the investors are requiring returns right their investors are just dumb retirement money and dumb retirement money doesn't really need returns they just need to churn the fee generated by just placing the damn capital you don't need returns you just need to replace the capital and that's this is what feeds you know the whole financial planner sphere so these large institutions they just have to deploy capital <laughs> they just have to buy shit and that's why they they're that's why i are saying they gotta they're gonna come back online eventually but right now we're in a that pause period but i there are situations just that's why i asked you on the residential front here in mm. hawaii you've seen like deals drop on the contract for the lending going up now i haven't seen the le- like i haven't really personally seen any deals fall out of contract due to people getting us loan proceeds and that's just anecdotes on my part in my sphere that I see. But yeah, I do I do see that like prices have just skyrocketed. Market appreciation have just skyrocketed. And yeah, it's just it's good to be in the game. Yeah, it's and that's what I'm like to your point too, like tapping into all of this lazy equity in in my real estate. That's kind of what I'm trying to that's what I'm doing now too in terms of my current activities yeah. so that trying to mac- maximize the balance sheet so that you have dry powder. And I was just thinking about that too. What if when there's a correction on the say the stock side or did it happen already? And then maybe dump, dump 50K or I don't know, whatever in, into Amazon or Apple. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know you're not going. But I'm just thinking if, yeah, ideally I'd prefer to throw it in in on the real estate side and potentially ideally syndications but if we're seeing these deals drying up because either the margins are getting tighter the cap rates are getting tighter or 
financing if the rates go up too much and it creates a squeeze then then what is the next play right yeah the interest rates don't really impact value add projects right think about it like a house flipper is like an extreme example but like house flipper doesn't give a rip what their interest rate is he'd be paying 10 20 30 percent on his money because he's going to value add the project and make a boatload of money and just pay off the a hard money lender or the interest rate on the deal. It's not, if you're doing value add, it's probably not as extreme as a house flipper, but you know, that the interest rate that means left. Whereas if you're a buy, hope and pray investor, like how we were when we first started to buy these turnkeys, it was all buy, hope and pray. You're hoping that the property is going to go up about, there's no value add. I, mean, I wasn't doing any value add. Therefore, when you fudge that interest rate up half a point, you lose 50, $60 a month in cash flow. That's why it's a huge deal in the buy, hope, and pray model, which is still better than keeping your money in your house still. So if you're doing the buy, hope, and pray model out there, keep doing it. It's still better. <laughs> the interest rate truly impacts you. But if you can do value add, then that's the game changer. What, what do you call it? The simple passive cash flow evolution of investing? Is that what you call it? Yeah. This is what I'm believing. Unless you're going out and creating value, you know, you're just, you don't have, you're not swimming fast enough to get away from the wave, I think. But there must be some kind of squeeze, right, on the interest rate side. They must squeeze the, the margins down somehow. Or is, are you telling me it's, it, it, if the the interest, there's no, there must be interest rate risk in these syndication deals, no? I think the trouble is if interest rates go up in theory, and what will probably happen eventually is the cap rates will also go up, right? The cap rate to interest rate differential will, is where you make your yields. But I think the problem why cap rates are compressed is large institutions really like multifamily for a lot of reasons. So there's kind of an excess of money that should normally be normalized in say office space or shopping or maybe they're getting away from the stock market in general and coming to real hard assets. Who would have known? I I think that's what keeping that, that natural going up with the interest rates down, which to me, validates the business plan that these large smart money is doing that like like industrial i think industrial has like some of the best yields right now but then again industrial it it can be disrupted right if amazon creates some kind of phenomenal supply chain shortening thing so that you don't need warehouses your warehouse drops in value i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen right yeah if you think of something better to invest in that people need i'm all you syndicators always come up with these really interesting ideas so i'm waiting to hear your next blessing you gotta find things that you can add value to whether it's a e-commerce website or whatever real estate is primitive in a way and it's backed by hard ass if you get good tax benefits but i'm sure there's other things out there that people need a lot that you'll need it a recession. No more fun coffee farms in Panama. Where were we? I forgot that one. Yeah, you might need coffee <laughs> in in tough times. I know that's what you think. You have time to think about what does really well in really bad times. Netflix at one point, but now everybody, you no know, people don't like Netflix right now. You, you guys never looked into like the medical marijuana or anything like that. Oh, so yeah. So the America marijuana is filled with like druggies. Oh. kind of a joke but it, it kind of is it's a shadier type of thing because you don't get access to really good lending because in some states the, the big banks just won't lend to you so mm-hmm. it's like an aftermarket kind of a lending and it's a business and i don't know just at one time i think like 2020 or 2018 
I think that was when a lot of there was a lot of traction. Like, this is a growing industry. We've got to get in now. But it's just a. I think in hindsight, that was just a fad. And if you got in early, you know, you probably stepped on a landmine with some kind of fake it till you make it operator because there's no collateral with that stuff. It, it's a good idea for like an emerging industry. I give you that. I'll be waiting to hear for your next latest and greatest. Outside that we all know that's a race to the bottom, right? You never want to be in a product that's your budget, I guess. You always want it to be a brand play, a value add on the brand side. So I don't know. The trouble is all these simple things are done by large institutions. Right. You got to find out what they're doing and then scale down to the, the area that they're not playing in. Isn't that what the apartment complex thing was? Yeah. And anything, you have to find what the big guys are doing and somehow find and do it on a smaller level. If you think about it, the guys that are but, doing that do the flips, that's like a version, itty bitty version of these yeah. apartment syndication. Or like a great example is like ExxonMobil, Shell, all these big oil drilling, drilling com- companies will buy the best areas They'll have the best equipment and they'll just go in there and just do their sucker straws and just pump oil. Whereas the, the smaller operators get the shitty oil fields and they have to really work for that and they have to frack for the oil. That's a controversial topic, but yeah, that's the only way the small guys can compete. They, they don't get the, the pick of the litter areas. They can still make a lot of money, but boy, is it a lot of work. Maybe gold mining? How about gold mining? I think that's been done already. Too much reality TV on what what I forgot. I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll we'll come back at you guys with some more money-making ideas next month. But if you guys have any questions, submit it over to us, and then we'll see you guys next month. Free Real Estate Investing Group. Check out reialoha.com. Just two local guys with so much to say. So listen to the real estate brothers today. Hey, just some legal stuff here. Although these two brothers are pretty knowledgeable and have over 2,100 rental units and own over $160 million worth of real estate, the preceding are only ideas and not to be taken as legal, tax, or financial advice, okay? You should always seek the professional advice of other professionals on your team and think for yourself and do your own due diligence, okay? Aloha.